Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're joining with us today in our church online experience. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here. If you're here with us and joining us online for the very first time, maybe you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're joining us today. I want to uh, highlight for everybody that the best digital church online experience is found in our church online platform. You can actually find that in the link in our comments, or you can go over to our website and get there very, very easily. We're so glad that you're with us today. We are continuing our our series called Heroic Faith. And if you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to join in with us, whether you're uh, through a digital Bible or maybe you have a Bible right there, wherever you're watching us in our digital online experience. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22 today. Luke chapter 22. We are in a great series called Heroic Faith because we want to talk about how to have faith in this really fearful season. And we don't know a lot about our future. And in these moments, it's easy to let fear creep in. It's easy to let panic creep in. And we are called to be men and women of faith. But we need to know how to do that. And so last week we talked about what this idea of faith was. Because I don't know if you're like me. You know, I grew up in church and we always said this word faith. But a lot of us had different definitions for it. And if you go back to scripture so many times, uh, God helps us understand that our faith is always attached to a promise of God. And really, faith in a simple definition is truly agreement with God. That if God said it, we can stand on it. That God is who he said he was and God can do what he said he can do. And so we opened up scriptures and we opened up Luke chapter 22 and uh, we're going to open up and walk through it a little bit uh, again today. And we're going to do a little bit of recap scriptures, but then we're going to move forward in the story. But for those of you who maybe didn't join us last week, we'll give you some highlights of what happened. Uh, this is a moment where Jesus Jesus is kind of coming to the end of his ministry. He had a three-year ministry on this earth, and uh, it was an incredible ministry. He did so many amazing things for this world and started, really, the local church. And it kind of comes to the end of his life, and he goes to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane, or the Mount of Olives, his most pressure-filled moment. And he has this moment with God, where we talked about last week, where he does not go into this moment alone. He goes into it with some of his closest disciples, some of the people that loved him and believed he was who he said he was and can do what he said he can do. And so last week, I highly encourage you to go back and check out our podcast or on our app or or through our YouTube page. You can find all of our videos of this and go back to see our experience. But we learned that there's power in our collective faith. And we're going to pick up the story today. We're going to go back to Luke chapter 30, uh, 22 and verse 39 and get all the way. We're going to go a little further in the story and see what happens after he walks through this moment of, of stress with his collective faith with his buddies. And so we'll go to Luke chapter 22 and it says, and he came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Verse 40 says, uh, when he came to the place where he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And I love this. It says this is his moment. This is kind of our next step. So that was all of last week, kind of give you some context of where we're at. So he's kneeling down and he's praying. And this is his prayer to God. He says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I like what he says. Not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strength. Him. Now, I want you to know that you, you and I are going to get in these moments. And when we enter into our prayer moments with God, you're going to see even uh, some encouragement from some of our pastors on staff, from me from time to time uh, on, digi on our digital experiences to, to pray to God. And you know, a lot of times we pray to God really for him to strengthen us. And it's no coincidence that in this moment when Jesus 
Jesus prayed to God the Father that God sent an angel to strengthen him. We're going to highlight why that was in just a moment, but that's the strengthening we need. We need that strengthening. In verse 44, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. He got deeper into God. He, he leaned into the presence of the Holy Spirit, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The Bible shows us here in this scripture that Jesus was through dealing with so much pressure, so much stress, so much turmoil, so much worry that, that he actually had great drops of blood falling down his brow. And, and today we want to walk through maybe a moment with the way, how did Jesus handle his most pressure-filled moment? Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you feel so pressured, so stressed, so fearful, so panicked. It's really easy to do nowadays if you open up your, your social media or if you watch the news outlets. No one knows what's going to happen. And in those moments, it can lead, that vacuum can leave, uh, give us a great opportunity for fear. But we need to be people of faith. And so with that as our backdrop inside of Scripture, Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, today, God. I thank you that we can gather, that church is not a building. God, church is a people. And that we can gather together. We can be a part of the local church, even digitally. And so right now, as we're watching all across the world, we're experiencing your word. God, I pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God, as we open up these, these scriptures, God, it's, it's by faith, God, we're, we're walking with you. And faith through the word of God, by hearing of the word of God. So we pray right now, God, that you would speak to us, no matter where we are in the world, God, that as we're using technology, your gospel is going forth. We pray that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. And all across the world, we said, amen. I, um, I grew up uh, as a youth pastor. It's kind of my first, uh, first experience into ministry. And when I first got into ministry, I didn't really know what part of ministry I wanted to be in. But I was so young that it really fit that I would be a youth pastor. But how many of y'all know that sometimes if you get into something when you're young, it's real easy to make some, some, some easy mistakes on the front end. Uh, a lot of mistakes that I made as a youth pastor were primarily because I was just, I didn't know. You know, it was kind of a product of ignorance more than it was was me trying to do or, or, or even making a mistake and doing the wrong thing. But I was thinking about this the other day of just some of my early moments as a youth pastor, learning about how to teach young people, learning about how to be a pastor. And one of the greatest ways you can learn, and if you've been in youth ministry or you've been a youth pastor, you know this to be true. One of the greatest ways to learn how to lead kids is doing it through a summer camp experience. And uh, summer camp is is great for the kids, I always say, but it's stressful for the adults because you typically have a lot of teenagers running around with another whole group of a lot of teenagers. It's at camp. They're staying up late. They're, you know, they have to wake up early. They're running around. And, and camp is great because you have so many great experiences as a youth, uh, as a youth and even as a youth pastor. And so I know so many teenagers that I, even I raise or help grow and help train and help teach the Word of God. They gave their lives at a camp. So camps are great on one end, but on the other end, they give you a lot of opportunities to make mistakes. And I was thinking about this the other day. One time, 
We were at a youth camp called Hume Lake in California. That's where I'm from. And we took about 450 uh, teens up to this youth camp. And during one of the weekdays while we were there, one of the activities that we could do was paintball. And uh, I don't know if you know this about young teenage boys, but they love to play paintball because they like to, you know, get a bunch of people and, you know, shoot them with those paintballs and leave well suits over each other. It's kind of funny to see them play. But when you're a youth pastor, you got to get out there and play with them. Because for me, I just wanted to get out there and, and get a bunch of the kids that, you know, were driving me crazy. And so I thought, I'm going to go get them. And I was going to have fun. And I remember this one moment. I was standing around with all the other teenagers and the guys who were running the camp paintball experience were explaining the rules. And one of the rules was that when you were on the paintball course, you had to keep your mask fully on because they did not want you to get shot in the face. You know, you can, you know, the, the old statement, you shoot your eye out, be careful. And so we, we, uh, we agreed to that. But I remember thinking as a young youth pastor, I was thinking, man, I'm kind of in charge here. I'm the one in charge. I'm the youth pastor. I'm running all these kids. Like, I don't really need, this is the, the rules for them. This is not for me. I don't agree that I need to wear the mask. I'm an adult. I know what's going on. So we're running around uh, on the on the paintball field, and I remember being on the paintball field, and we were, you know, shooting all, you know, the kids, and the kids were shooting their youth pass, they're shooting me, and it was having a good time. It was fun. It was we were having a great time. But I remember uh, I started to get foggy in my mask. I couldn't see, and so once, you know, I remember hearing, and I could hear the guy, the judge on the field. He would be on the field making sure people were following the rules, and he was saying, "Keep your mask on, keep your mask on." And I got to a point. Where I kind of I got to a side of a tree and I pulled my mask up and I remember as soon as I lifted my mask to wipe the the lens, I heard one of the the leaders scream to me, "Hey, you get your mask on!" And I remember pulling my mask back down, but something rose inside of me that I couldn't fully explain. But I just felt like you don't tell me what to do; I tell people what to do. It was like my first forte into, you know, into having authority. And so that kind of pride rose up in me and I'm like, he can't tell me what to do. So I started around and I started to get foggy again. So I found where I wanted to. And I, I said, you know what? I don't care what he has to say. And I lifted up my mask almost in defiance. Like I almost wanted to, I was a little bit in the middle of the paintball field. And I'm like, lifted it up. And I was almost looking for him. Where are you at? I'm going to show you, tell me what not to do. And as soon as I lifted up my mask, mask, wouldn't you know it, guess what happened? I got hit with a paintball right in my eye. Then from the other side, not kidding you, almost simultaneously, the same time I got hit in the eye, which you know, it's always teenagers going after the youth pastor. I got hit here. Then I got hit in the mouth and I had paint all up in my mouth. I got hit twice in the face by lifting my mask simply because I had some pride issues, man. I was not wanting to submit to what this guy was saying. Now, why did that happen? Why, why, why did I get shot in the face? Well, it was simple. I, in that moment, my pride lifted my, you know, lifted up to a point where I did something unhealthy that wound up leading to my, really, my demise. I didn't just get knocked out of the game, man. I had some physical pain inside of my life. And what's interesting about the scriptures when it comes to Jesus teaching us about his type of faith is that he has this moment where he says, God, he prays this. He says, God, I, I have my will. I have what I, I, would, I would like to happen. But at the end of the day, I'm submitting my will into your 
hands. And, and he shows us, we even talked about this a little bit last week, that faith is the thing that catches the attention of God. But there's a specific kind of faith. There's a submitted type of faith that unlocks even more principles and more promises inside of our life. There's a a great story inside of scriptures found in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew is, of course, a gospel inside of the New Testament. And, and Jesus uh, has this interaction with the centurion soldier. And I'll give you some highlights before we go to our scripture, before I share with you what actually happens. Um, there, there, he's a, 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 the, the Bible says there was a, a centurion soldier, which for us, you might not know this, but it really just means that he was a, a pagan man who was raised in the Roman ways. He was a Gentile, so he was not a Jew. He did not, he was not raised to believe the way that Jewish people or followers of the way or of Christ were raised. He, he, he was a centurion soldier, which meant that he would have had to have at least 10 years of Roman military experience to become a centurion soldier. So he was a man in authority and was a hardened, really a hardened military man. And not only on that, it was a Roman soldier, which really represented the enemy to Israel. So this was not a man who was necessarily a follower of Jesus, but he recognized that Jesus was who he said he was, could do what he, he said he could do, and he goes to Jesus, the Bible says. You need to go back and read it before this scripture. He goes to Jesus, and he actually asks Jesus to heal one of his servants that were hurt. And this was Jesus' response to him. This is an incredible interaction where there is a man who is in authority and submits his life, submits himself because he understands it to the authority of Jesus. This is interesting. In verse 7 it says, this is his response to the centurion soldier asking Jesus to heal him. He says, Jesus said, I will come and I will heal him. He says, Jesus, I have somebody who's sick. I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, okay, I'm coming. Let's go. Where is he at? And the officer replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word. Remember back to last week we talked about if God said it, we can stand on it. If he says who he says he is, then we're going to have faith that he is who he said he was and he can do what he said he can do. So he says it. He says, Lord, if you just say the word from where you are, from where you're sitting, my servant will be healed. This is, again, remember back to who's talking. This is not one of his disciples. This is not a Jewish person. This is a Gentile, Roman, pagan, centurion soldier speaking to Jesus. And he goes on to say, I know this. This is the soldier still speaking. I know this because I'm under authority. There it is. He says, I understand that I have a th I'm under authority of my superior officers, that I'm submitted to their will, and, and I have authority over my soldiers. I get this idea of submission. And he says in verse 10, when Jesus heard this, this is incredible. One of the few times you recognize and that the Bible actually highlights that Jesus was not only attention was caught, but he was amazed. He was astounded. It stopped him in his tracks. He was, he, he started turning to those who were following him. I kind of imagine it like he's having this conversation and the centurion soldier says, if you just say it, it can happen. I get who you are. And Jesus is like, what's going on? What's happening? 
who is this guy? And he says this, he starts looking at those who are following him. Like, almost like, are you hearing this? Take notes. He said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Let me give it to you straight. Let's be real. I haven't seen faith. There it is. Faith, the thing we're talking about like this, in all of Israel. He says, this soldier has now set the bar. He gets it. He understands. He knows. He gets that it's a submitted type of faith that can unlock a miracle working power and promise in our lives. So if that's the truth, and I want to talk about today this idea, this second characteristic. We've been in a series called Heroic Faith because it's about our Jesus who is our great hero. What kind of faith does he have? The second characteristic of Jesus-like faith, of heroic faith, is submitted faith. Verse 42, you, you see this in its entirety with Jesus. He said, Jesus prays to God and he says, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This first part of Jesus' prayer, I get. Like, we understand that. In fact, I would dare to say that most of the time when we come to God with our prayers, we pray this prayer, the first part. We pray this moment where, where we go into, we have a miracle need we have something we're looking for, and we start off in any way that we say it. It's really all the same. It says, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. I, I have my will, and, and honestly, I would rather go that route, that, that I, I, I pray, really, my will be done. Maybe you're like me with your, your maybe it's somebody and it's a spouse that, that you're dealing with. Have you ever noticed that when you pray about your spouse or you pray for your spouse, oftentimes what you're praying is your will be done inside of their life? Isn't it true that it's easier to pray for the things that are wrong with them than it is to pray for the things that are wrong with you? And you instead of praying God's will be done in your spouse, you're really pray, praying my will be done in my spouse. Like, Lord, I know that I'm supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. I mean, you gave me to her. She's a gift. I'm supposed to pray for her and wash her with the water of the word. And I know I'm supposed to be godly, but man, honestly, I just need her to, I want her to just listen and obey and do what I want her to do. Come on. Like is, if we're honest, we pray our will be done with our spouses. How about your kids? You know, Jesus always, he speaks so much to us throughout scripture. God has, there's so much great godly parenting advice inside the Bible. And oftentimes, we don't like to really pray God's will be done with our kids. We're going to pray our will be done. You know, God wants us to train. We really just want to dictate to them. We really just want to rule over them rather than raise them up. We want to, to try to mold and chip off all of the old things and the ugly things and the sharp things off of them when really God's called us to, to unfold our kids, to help shape them in a godly way, in a loving way. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's, if you're not careful, we can pray my will be done prayers, not God's will be done prayers. But Jesus' faith, his submitted type of faith was, didn't stop, remove this cup from me. It, it continued with, I like this, this, this nevertheless type of faith. It, this, this, this verse 42 moment. He doesn't just say 
Father, remove the cup. He says, Father, remove the cup, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus-type faith, submitted-type faith is literally putting God's will above man's will. It's going to God with the faith that's saying, God, I believe you can do this, but even if you don't, I'm not going anywhere. Even if, God, you're big enough to change not just the world, you're big enough to change my world, but even if you don't, you need to know I'm still here because my faith is submitted. My will is submitted to your will, God. God, I, I would like you to do it my way, but if you don't, just know it's not based, uh, my following for you is not based on whether or not you do everything I ask. There's a great story. You should go back and and, and do some personal Bible study with it. In, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, there's a great story where there's characters, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he, they have this moment with King Nebuchadnezzar where the king gives a decree for all the kingdom that when a trumpet sounds, that everybody in the kingdom would kneel and worship their false god. But they didn't worship the false god. They worshiped the one true God, the God that you and I served. And the kingdom found out. They did a test. They did the trumpet sound, and everybody kneeled down except for these four people. So they brought them to the king, and the king threatened them. And he said, if you don't do what I tell you to do, then guess what? You're going to be tossed into this burning, fiery furnace. And I love, I, I love the response, the reaction to the king in their moment when their faith is tested. This was their response in Daniel chapter 3. It says this. It says their response to the king. If we are thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Jehovah, he can make it happen. He's the one true God. We have faith that he can move mountains, that he can truly set us free, that you are not in full control, King Nebuchadnezzar. They make it clear he's all powerful. He is God. But I love what they pray. It's like a foreshadowing of Jesus's prayer in the garden. This is a pressure moment for them. This is a high stress moment for them. Their lives are literally hanging in the balance. Does it sound familiar where you and I could be Right now in this world, our faith is being tested and they pray the same kind of prayer. They say the same kind of statement. They're, they're, they're showing you a submitted faith because they go, the God and we serve will save us and he will do it. But, but, and he will rescue us from the power of your majesty. And I love what he says in verse 18. He says, but even if he doesn't, there, do you see it? Nevertheless moment. He says, even if he doesn't, we, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that, that we'll never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. You, you got to understand that if you and I are going to walk with God for any length of time in any part of our world, there might have a moment, and it could be right now, where your faith is tested, where you, you, you could give in to the fear, you could give in to the panic, but Jesus is wanting you to lean in by teaching us in the garden, by showing us through 
through scripture that you're and I are going to have to submit our wills saying, God, you're big. I would rather not be thrown in this furnace. I would rather not go get executed for false charges. But honestly, even if whatever your will be done in my life, no matter what, I'm not leaving. You're going to have to find that nevertheless faith inside of your life. So how, how do we get it? It leads us to the inevitable question. How do you have submitted faith in your life? Well, let me, it first starts with really explaining what submission is. Let me give you a, an easy way to know where it starts and where it ends. So submission begins where agreement ends. Submission begins where agreement ends. Submission is not, which gets confused all of the time, Submission is not, hey, we agree where something is said, where our wills are together and we walk in agreement. That's one thing, but submission starts where now I don't really agree with you, but I'm walking this out because I believe that you are who you said you are and you could do what you said you can do. And I'm telling you, we're going to have to come to God at some point in our lives and submit our will to God and say, God, this was what I would prefer, but honestly, whatever you want, I'm with, I'm submitted. And I might not even agree with what you're saying or what you might have happened. Maybe you don't answer my prayer in this moment. I'd rather you do it. I'd rather agree with you that you're going to do it. But even if you don't, I'm not going anywhere because I'm submitted to who you are. I like what one of my pastors says. He says, submission starts when, when your will is crossed. You don't really know you're submitted until we cross wills. Till your will and what you want to happen crosses with what my will and what I want to happen. And the question you have to ask yourself today is, where are you on this issue? Where, where are you when it comes to earthly authority? I've noticed this, that people who struggle with earthly authority inevitably struggle with heavenly authority. I've just noticed that, that if you struggle with taking orders and having authority in your life and having someone give you insight and share with you and lead you, it's really hard. If you can't handle it from a human, how are you going to handle it from God? It's almost like the first step, the first test. Can you handle earthly authority? Because if you can't handle earthly authority, it's going to be really hard to handle heavenly authority from a God you might not be able to see. And we have to understand that submission at its core, if you have a problem with submission, you don't really have a problem with submission. You really have a problem with pride. It's really at the root of submission issues is pride that keeps us from submitting. So how, how does this look in, in real life, just as a Christian in today's world, as we wrap up? The best way to know, to find out if you're submitted to God's will, if you're praying the prayer of Jesus in the garden, not my will, but your will, is pick a category in your life and see where you don't agree with God and then find out, do you do it God's way or you do it his way? Let's just take, for example, relationships. Most of us in this world have been betrayed once or twice. 
The question you have to ask yourself in this world today is, do you do what Jesus says to do with those who hurt you, maybe your enemies, or do you do what you want to do? I've noticed this with my enemies. I'd rather make, I'd rather leave them alone. I'd rather curse them. I'd rather leave them there. I'd rather make sure I want to pray for them. I don't want anything to do with them. But Jesus had a clear cut idea. This is his will for us when it comes to our enemies. Love your enemies and bless those who curse you. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't always, I don't really agree with that. Can we be honest? We don't really agree with that. But you know what? We trust God and we submit our will to God's will. We'd rather do it God's way because I'd rather have God's blessing. I'll give you another example. How about your job? I've just noticed that sometimes it's hard to walk into work. Come on. And when you walk into work with maybe a boss who's not a great leader or somebody who doesn't believe in you, or maybe it's not a great work environment, you can walk in there and maybe you don't walk, you walk in there and you're like, oh, I don't really, and I don't really like this. I'm not getting paid enough. But the Bible says that everything that we do when we work, we work unto God as unto God. Do you work as unto God or do you work as unto your boss? My will, I'd rather work as unto my boss. If you treat me right, I'm going to treat you right. We're going to do what we want. And as long as I'm good and you're good, and we're, there's a contractual agreement. But God says work is unto him. Work as, you're, as if you're representing Jesus because you are. Maybe it's with your, your health. I, I've just noticed my will doesn't seem to align with some of the things that Scripture says. But Scriptures tell me that God would desire, His will, would, that we would look as our body as a temple. I don't want to really look at my, and that we reflect God lives in our bodies, that, that we, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, and that we got to take care of our physical body. If we take care of our physical body, it allows us to be spiritual. It's all the same thing. There was no Hebrew word for spiritual. When you say, like, I got to have my spiritual life, and, and you don't have a spiritual moment with God, they'd laugh at you, because you're physical and your spiritual always the same thing. They wanted you to be connected to God. So we got to take care of our physical body so that we can spiritually connect. But I know my will, I'd just rather eat a Krispy Kreme every day. I'd rather have a taco, taco rather than a taco salad. I'd rather do something that tastes good, come on, rather than eat something that's good for me. Do you submit your will as unto God? And it's a huge question in this world today because when you are fearful and there's a world full of panic, you and I are tempted to ask God to do what we want him to do. And as we close today, I want to give you this thought. And maybe you could, maybe I could rewrap this moment for you in what Jesus said when it comes to praying to God. He gave us this insight on a prayer. He modeled this for us in Matthew chapter 6. You should go back and read it. It's the Lord's Prayer. And he says this at the end. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy and thy, not my and my. It says, not my kingdom come, my will be done. That thy, that God, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. My prayer for you today as you're walking out your life in this moment of, of, of coronavirus, in this moment of financial worry, in this moment of health concerns, in this moment of children concerns, in your moments of relational issues with your friends, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's something to do with your job where you're worried about all of these things. When you go to God, may we submit our will and say, God, today, not my will, 
but your will be done. I want to pray the prayer like Jesus does so that I can have victory like Jesus did. God, not my will, but your will with my money, your will with my marriage, your will with my kids, your will with my career, your will with my hobbies, your will with my health. God, if I can pray your will into my life and I have a submitted type of faith, God, then I can step into the promises of God that you have for me. And I believe if we could do that, we'll not only get through this season of life in our world, we will thrive in this season in our life and in our world.